Hey friends, Heather Creekmore here. Thanks for listening to the Compared to Who show today. Today, my guest is Erin Davis. She's a writer. She's a teacher. She's part of the Revive Our Hearts group. So you may have seen her or heard her on that show. She's written more than a dozen books and Bible studies. But today I invited Erin on the show to talk about its new book, and it's actually a podcast series she has on feasting and fasting. So we're going to talk about both of those subjects today. And I realize that for my audience, some of you are recovering from eating disorders or stuck in disordered eating or maybe still in the midst of an eating disorder, I want you to hear clearly my heart that this is a conversation about the biblical call to fast and to feast too. But this isn't any kind of pressure or mandate or anything that goes around whatever you are working through with your eating disorder recovery journey. For some people, fasting may not be possible because of the eating disorder journey you are currently on or have been on. I did another episode with Amy Carlson on fasting last January. Go check out those episodes, but listen, hear me clearly, my friends. Fasting is biblical, but it may not be what's best for you right now in this season. And as Aaron and I talk about maturity, understand that we're not talking about maturity as related to your battle with your eating disorder. Okay. We're talking about your relationship with Jesus and what he is calling you to do. Aaron talks about going on prolonged fasts. So if that's triggering for you, just a heads up there. But I think Aaron handles this topic beautifully. In fact, she even shares that she did a 40-day fast, two of them, and didn't lose a single pound. So it's not about weight loss. It's about prayer and connection to God and seeking him with our whole heart. And I hope you'll hear that heart behind the message today. And if you have an eating disorder, get help, my friend. There is help for you. There's no need to stay stuck there. Listen to my conversation conversation with Aaron Davis. We talk about both feasting and fasting. I think you'll really enjoy the end of it too, where we get more into the feasting side of things. So if the fasting side is triggering to you, skip ahead and listen to the feasting part. Okay, that's enough disclaimers. Here we go. Welcome to Compare to Who, the podcast to help you make peace with your body so you can savor God's rest and feel his love. If you're tired of fighting body image the world's way, Compare to Who is the show for you. You've likely heard lots of talk about loving your body, but my goal is different. Striving to fall in love with stretch marks and cellulite is a little silly to me. Instead, I want to encourage you and remind you with the truth of scripture that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved no matter what your size or shape. Here, the pressure is off. If you're looking for real talk, biblical encouragement, and regular reminders that God loves you and you're not alone, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy today's show and hey, tell a friend about it. Aaron Davis, welcome to the Compared to Who show. Mm, I'm so excited for this conversation. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, me too. Me too. I was so glad when I saw your book come out and the podcast episodes. And we're going to talk about those later. Um, But you are talking about feasting and fasting. And I can't wait to dig in because I know people listening right now are like feasting. Oh, that's something I don't do a lot. Yep. And they might also be saying fasting. That's something I don't do a lot. So yep. there's, there's a lot of ground to cover today. 
but I know you have a story that's pretty similar to the story of a lot of my listeners. Mm. You had an eating disorder in college. Will you just share what that looked like for you and, and how Jesus led you on a journey out of all of that? Gladly, because Jesus gets a lot of glory from this story. I mean, I frequently say that if our relationship with food was like our Facebook status, I think all women would have to say it's complicated and mine's complicated (laughs) because I love food. I consider myself a foodie. If I have free time, you're going to find it in the kitchen. It's like a running joke at my family. I raise, I'm raising all boys and they're like, mom, you could just feed us pizza bites every night and we'd be happy. And I'm doing like, you know, lemon chicken with a garlic potato and a homemade bread. And, you know, I just love, I love food and I always have. Um, and I grew up in a home with a mama who was a great cook and loved food, but also a mama who was never satisfied with how she looked. And those two things are very important Mm -hmm. because I watched her growing up and my mom really is very, very beautiful, always has been. So there was this interesting disconnect between, I would look at this woman with such eyes of admiration Mm -hmm. and she would look at herself in a different way. Well, that, I mean, We don't like this idea as parents, but it's true that more is caught than taught. And so I started to have that same disconnect. I'm not throwing my mom under the bus. We've had this conversation many times to which she says, well, I just thought telling you, you were beautiful was enough. Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't. So fast forward to college. I'm a high achieving person. If you do your research on eating disorders, that's true. Um, It's Ivy League girls that Mm -hmm. often have the highest incidence of Mm -hmm. eating disorders because they have that, you know, that achieving drive inside of them. So I went to college, a lot of things felt out of control, uh, but food was something I could control. And I got very, 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 very thin. I was exercising hours every day. I was limiting myself to just skinless chicken breasts and water Mm -hmm. at the height of it. And I was getting ready for a wedding. So nobody really paid much attention because of course you shed some pounds when you're getting ready to be married. Yeah. Right. I did have a couple of people say to me, Aaron, you're looking really thin. And I actually said this, I actually thought this, I said, there's no such thing as too thin. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I look back at that and go, Oh my goodness, what a destructive mindset. Mm-hmm. God in his mercy rescued me from that. But I will also say not every woman has an eating disorder. Mm-hmm but most women have disordered eating. Mm -hmm. So I did start to eat normally. I did start to pack on those pounds that I'd lost, but it wasn't because I had any freedom in my understanding of who God was, how he made me, what his word says about food, the fact that he cares about my eating habits, all of that. So that's been a much, much longer journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, I'd love to hear more about like how, what that looked like for you, because I think for many people, they're desperate for an answer. (laughs) Like, how do I get out of this? So do you mind elaborating on kind of what your process looked like on the other side? No, with this disclaimer that I haven't arrived. So I'm 42. (laughs) And this is not me saying like, well, this used to be and now this is all fixed. That's not true. Mm -hmm. But I think some of the building blocks the Lord has used is is this love of food. Um, if you were in my orbit, if we lived next to each other, I think you'd think of me as one of your favorite friends. I hope because I think you'd say I'm having you over to my home a lot and feeding you a lot. Um, I feed people really regularly every week. And that's part of my ministry, part of me serving Jesus. And that is, uh, in order to do that, you have to embrace the gift of food on some level Mm -hmm. and you have to recognize 
that God has given us food, not as a constant enemy, but as a something that we can use for his glory. So that's been true in my life for several years. Um, But then during COVID, you know, you know what COVID did? (laughs) It exposed that food is an idolatry in -hmm. most of our lives because Mm -hmm. people were really, really upset about not being able to go to their favorite restaurants, Mm -hmm. less upset about not being able to go to their houses of worship, more upset about the fact that we couldn't go out to eat. We couldn't get a cup of coffee. That's what everybody was talking about. So in that very kind of heightened sensitivity to the way we think and feel about food, I was writing a book, fasting and feasting. And that's because I had been learning about fasting, which is this very biblical concept. I'm sure we're going to get into it. It's all over scripture. It's old Testament. It's new Testament. It's everywhere. And I really am a Bible student more than anything else. And when I see something like that, that I just can't ignore, I mean, it, it, you can't ignore fasting. It's everywhere. I, I started to implement it and God was using, really using it to transform me. So then I was learning self-denial in a good way, not in an anorexic way. Mm-hmm. I was learning that it was possible to deny myself food and not uh, given to the impulse to weigh myself immediately mm-hmm. and that God was using fasting to really teach me important lessons. But I also see in scripture, he also calls us to feasting feastings mm-hmm. all over scripture. So there's these kind of dual approaches and it was really an outflow of studying God's word that I think I began to think of both of them in a much more healthy way. Okay, friends, so I am here today to tell you again about Tighten Your Tinkler because it's a really great program. You see, I would get up and pee. Uh, I lost count after 12 or 13 or 14 times a day, sometimes multiple times an hour. And I just assumed it was because I drink a ton of water while I'm working and that I had a small bladder. But Jen and Christina from Tighten Your Tinkler showed me that that wasn't exactly normal. Neither is it normal to have a little pee leak out when you cough or sneeze. I don't know about you, but I was always told that's just what happens to older women. If you have babies, then that's just part of the deal. But no, none of this is normal. Your muscles of your pelvic floor are muscles that need to be worked just like all the others. And it's not about Kegels and it's not about jamming anything up there. It's so much simpler than that. So today I want to tell you about the Tighten Your Tinkler Signature Program. You guys, this is one of the best programs I have ever pursued. I totally got my money's worth. They send you the equipment you need. You have videos that you follow. It's super easy to follow. They oh, they really take care of you as they shepherd you through this program to strengthen and tighten your pelvic floor. If you want to find out more, go to tightenyourtinkler.com. They have a free quiz there. It takes like five minutes to fill out and you can find out if this is a good fit for you. And if you decide it is, you can sign up for their signature program and save $50 just because you listen to this show. All you have to do is put in the coupon code area, Heather, my name in all capital letters, and you will save $50 on their Tighten Your Tinkler signature program. Women spend a ton of money to try to fix this problem. In fact, some have even gotten surgery and other things. And I just, I would recommend that you start by checking out what Jen and Christina have to offer. They could have the solution for you. And if you're like me, they could change the number of times you pee (laughs) and that will make it all worth it. Check it out today. 
I want to back up to something you said a couple minutes ago. You said food is a gift. Mm. And, and I love how you juxtapose that to food is not the enemy, but I think there's someone in the back row. Someone needs to turn up a little louder for that. Will you just elaborate on that? Because I, that's hard for those of us who wrestle eating disorder, weight stuff to see food as a gift. I mean, food occupies so much of my mental space. Food makes me crazy. Like how, how do we get to that place, Erin, where we can see food as the gift that God has created it to be? Well, I think one step is we have to be very honest about the cultural messages that we're receiving all the time. And the culture measures food in, in metrics that we then apply, whether it's calories or sugar or carbs, but it becomes this thing that we're kind of then putting on a scale and trying to find the right balance of. Uh, I would take us to a, a much more elementary approach of food, which is that God created both your need for food and the food itself. And, and let's peel back the layers of that. I mean, here's some interesting information that you may not be aware of. There are many creatures that don't have to eat nearly as often as we have to eat. For example, cave dwelling olms. There are these little lizards that live at the bottoms of caves. They don't have any eyes and they eat about once a decade. And when mm-hmm. they do, it's just uh, whatever. It's got to fall into the cave floor. They're not feasting. Sharks can go months without a meal, and that's why they're so hungry when they do get food. <laughs> and yet God has wired us this idea of three meals a day. I might argue that that doesn't that might not be God's design. That's kind of a human uh, limitation that we all operate mm. under. But God did create us with digestive tracts that need regularly fed. Well, mm. why? Um, he could have made us a different way. And another yeah. layer of that question is, why did God make so much food? Example. Mm. There's 7,000 different varieties of apples alone. Wow. Uh, then you wow. take in berries and all the different forms of protein and all the different kinds of milk and all the, I mean, on and on and on and on and on and on. And I think those two questions are linked. I think God created our daily need for food so that we would daily reach out towards him because he mm-hmm. meets the need. So I don't know, quick cave dwelling ohms, they, they, in their created state, they just do what they were made to do. We, however, constantly run from our God-given realities and constantly run from our creator. So God's built in this thing into our systems that makes us go, hey, I have a need and it's a need I cannot meet within myself. So I'm going to have to reach towards someone or something. Now, I know that's like a really theological approach to food when we could just go make ourselves a ham sandwich. (laughs) But I do think we have to get down to those really basic questions. Why do I need food anyway? And then I think the answer for the 7,000 kinds of apples and all the other kinds of food is because God is showing us how good he is. It could have been one kind of food from now to the end of time. Could have been oatmeal. I like oatmeal. I do not want to only (laughs) eat oatmeal from now to the end of time. But God's given us different kinds of grains and different kinds of meats and different kinds of spices. This is all in creation by God's design. The psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, why didn't he say look and see? Why didn't he say listen and see? Why didn't he say touch and see? I think it's because we all have this daily need for food. And so I really do. I'm I'm sipping some uh, English breakfast, Earl Grey tea. uh, And I I love it. And it actually is a reminder that God loves me. And he created these things to build delight into my day. So um, it, it starts with him. It starts with acknowledging him. It starts with thinking about him and asking different questions. In the book, I call food a tiger in a box, which means it's this 
this thing you have to take out and feed three times a day plus snacks. And the tiger doesn't want to stay in the box. It, it wants to rule over us. Mm-hmm. So um, I understand that feeling that food can be an enemy, but I do think God can and will give us freedom when we go to him versus the mm-hmm. calorie counting or the, the carb bashing or whatever it is. Yeah. I think he can really shift our paradigm. Yeah. And I, I love the taste and see verse because I, I think there's a lot of fear around food, right? right? And I mean, there's all kinds of research about what fear actually does to our digestion. So we kind of make it worse when we're afraid right. of eating, but there's all this fear around food and God, I think through that taste and see verse shows us that he, it's okay to delight in food. Mm-hmm. Like he's not mad at us for enjoying the sweetness of honey, <laughs> the right. sweetness of sugar, the sweetness of the apple. Right. right. And, and so it's, it's a, if God thought that our relationship with food was going to be this strained antagonistic, like, Ooh, keep that away from me. I only need to do what's, you know, absolutely necessary every day to get by only what I need, like unemotional kind of cold relationship. Like why would he ever use words like taste and see right to explain to us how we're to relate to him. So I, I love the truth in that Aaron. And it goes so much deeper than that. I mean, that's one verse, but here's, here's maybe one thing you could do as a result of this conversation, open your Bible, start at Genesis Mm. and say, God, what do you say about food? Well, you're not going to have to go very far because the fall of man relate. It's a food passage. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, just a chapter or two later, the murder of Abel by his brother. That's actually a food passage. They were talking about livestock offerings versus grain offerings. We think of the Egyptians as they wandered in the wilderness after they left Egypt. What did they complain about? They complained about food. They wanted the leeks and garlic of Egypt. And then God sent that beautiful manna. We get to Leviticus 23, which is where God was outlining life in the promised land. What did he give him? Did he give him rules? Well, Yeah, but he also gave them seven feasts in Leviticus 23. As he was giving them their calendar, he said, I want you to feast and then feast and then feast and then feast. That's the harder one for us to, I think, get over is that God actually invites us to feast sometimes. And New Testament, you know, the first miracle is water into wine. And there's the feeding of the many thousands of people with the loaves and the fishes. And there's what did Jesus want to do with his disciples before he went to the cross? Well, he wanted to eat. We see them observing the fast, the Passover meal, and he gives us you know, the discipline of communion. He himself said he was the bread of life, that he was going to pour himself out as a drink offering. And then even after the ascension, um, we see in Revelation, what do we see heaven's going to be like? Well, Jesus says it's a feast. And uh, I think that's literal and figurative. I think we are going to eat in heaven. We're, we're going to be in these bodies, but glorified. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's all over the Bible. And that's liberating for me because it's not, then it becomes not, oh man, Jesus set me up to fail here. He shouldn't have made me this way. This is a mistake too. This was so intentional. And there's yeah. something that food has to say to me about who God is. And then it becomes kind of a treasure quest, which I love. Yes. I love that too. I'm actually part of a group of non-diet dietitians. Mm. And we have been going through the Bible just book by book. Everyone look for food things and then we come wow. together and talk about it. So it's been pretty cool. I think we're only at like judges, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's everywhere. Been, it's amazing. We, I mean, we've all been kind of stunned, like, oh, what are we going to find in Deuteronomy? And there mm. <laughs> food things there. So it's, it's yeah, been pretty neat. It's everywhere. Well, let's start by talking about fasting as we mm. think about feasting. 
and fasting. Let's start with the harder one. Oh, I don't know. Maybe feasting is the harder one. Like you said, Yeah, they're both hard. They're both hard. Um, fasting. So, so what do we see in scripture about fasting? Talk to us about fasting. Well, I already said it, but it's good to emphasize this, that it is all over your Bible. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like that Heather and I are like taking the claw approach and extracting a few verses and twisting them out of context here. It's everywhere. And in the Old Testament, it is sometimes mandated for the people of God. Often then it was a collective fast, usually in response to the need to repent. So they, Mm -hmm. they would sin. They would cry out to God. They would say, what would we do? And he would say, you need to have a time of fasting and repentance. But it's not like that goes silent in the New Testament. We see it in the New Testament, though it's never mandated. So this is not a salvation issue. Mm -hmm. That's really important. You can follow Jesus for 50 decades. You can never undertake a fast and your salvation is absolutely secure. But Mm -hmm. I would encourage you this way. Fasting is a gift given to us by God. And part of the reason I wrote fasting and feasting is because I see so many of my Christian brothers and sisters just leaving that gift wrapped and Mm. on the shelf. And I don't want that for you. I would frame it this way. Fasting is feasting. Mm. I, I would fast all the time if I could, but really it's because of the intimacy with the Lord I've experienced in seasons of fasting. It turns down the volume on our flesh, which is always very loud. Mm. And when the volume gets turned down, even incrementally on our flesh, then the voice of God, we can hear it. God doesn't change, but we can just hear it. So Mm -hmm. um, Jesus himself fasted regularly. So that's good enough reason for me. And along with many other people that we would really elevate as people we want to emulate, Paul comes to mind, the early disciples, the early church, Moses, Esther. So these people that we go, oh, I really value their faith. Well, fasting was part of the equation. So it, it's just something that, um, I, I think the Lord calls us to, I think I'd say it this way. I think that eventually the Holy Spirit knocks on the heart of every mature believer about Mm. this. And I've had that experience since I've written this book. People will say like, oh, yeah, I've kind of been thinking about that. I've kind of been Mm. wrestling about with that. I've seen that in scripture. I don't know what to do. I feel like that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, have you tried fasting? Mm. Uh, I first became interested because of a passage in Mark 9. You probably actually know this passage, but didn't maybe pay attention to this detail. That's where that father prays that beautiful prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. The transfiguration had just happened. The disciples had tried to cast the demons out of this father's son and they couldn't do it. Jesus came down and of course he could. Later, the disciples said, why couldn't we do that? Because they had cast out demons before. And he said, this kind can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I got some this kinds. Everybody I know has some this kinds, some things that we try to manage in our own strength, even maybe even using spiritual weapons. I've tried to pray about that. I've tried to talk to my pastor about that and I can't drive it out. And Jesus said some said mysteriously, this kind can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. So I began to pray and fast. If you don't pray when you're fasting, you're just dieting. So Mm -hmm. that's an important disclaimer. You dedicate the energy you would have dedicated towards food to pray, praying. And I saw God do some really amazing things. And I believe that if the church in this era would fast and pray, some really important this kinds would be dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. And and let me just add the disclaimer. Like, I think if someone, well, I love that you said any mature believer. Mm. 
and um, that word maturity is a little uncomfortable for some of us, it, right? It because is. we don't want to classify anyone as immature or mature, right? But if you are still struggling with food and you're trying to fast and make it a diet at the same time, and that's honestly part of my story. I mean, I remember mm. hooking up with some Catholics in my twenties and they did this Lent thing. And mm. I was like, Hey, I'm already an awesome dieter. <laughs> like I'll be really good at Lent. Just add a Jesus layer. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like, if this is for Jesus, that'll really help me like avoid sugar. And yeah. it was not about being in prayer about Easter coming. It wasn't anything mm. about Jesus at all. It was how long can I go without this yeah. food? And you know, and then kind of thinking that Jesus was my accountability partner on the diet. <laughs> it's really mm-hmm. where it was. So, so I, I want to add that caveat. And I know I have, I have eating disorder recovery or in recovery, recovered or in recovery women who are listening. And they've sent me messages saying, Heather, like my church is mandating a fast. And I feel mm-hmm. like when I fast, I go right back to my anorexic tendencies. Like, I, I think we want to give space for all of that. Yep. Um, but you had mentioned something before we got on the air and, and, and I don't know if this is what you meant when you mentioned it, (laughs) this is how I, um, how I interpreted it was, you know, part of the reason why I've struggled with fasting post eating disorder is because I want to make it quickly about me. I want to make it quickly about Ooh, I love that, that empty stomach feeling. I mean, it's really disturbed and distorted to say, but I know that my women listening understand too. So and I go to that too quickly and I've set up, you know, people and protocols where, okay, if I start to do this and I've got to break my fast because I'm not mm. doing it for Jesus anymore, I'm doing it for Heather, but, but the, the maturity to go back to that word yeah. involved in sacrificing what Heather's going to look like at the end of the fast or mm. sacrificing all that glory I want for myself and fasting to be just serious for my, for my, would you say like these, my, my things like these, what's your catch? Yeah. This kind, this kind, how, how beautiful that is. What, what would you add to that, Erin? Yeah. I, I would say fasting is not formulaic, which is a mercy. We want it to be, we want it to be like, okay, exactly. What can I eat and not eat? Exactly. How long does it go? What do I pray about? When do I pray? And, and it's not, it's not formulaic (laughs) at all. Um, In fact, if you look in your Bible, you're going to see a variety of different links of fast. You're going to see Daniel's fast comes to mind. We call it the Daniel fast. Now he didn't call it a fast though. He did traditional fasting, but where he was in the King's household and they were going to let him eat all the delicious food. And he said, actually, we're going to eat we're going to eat meat and fruits and vegetables. We're going to eat like good Hebrew boys because um, that's going to, what's going to make us flourish. And it did. And so Jesus himself fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And I think it was a clean fast. I think it was nothing um, at all. And that was supernatural. So I would just say it's not a formula. So if you're put off by, oh, it has to be 40 days or it has to even be a full day or it has to be several days strung together. Uh, I can deal with that right here. We don't see that in scripture. And it requires walking by the spirit, which, Mm. you know, in some ways is harder, but in some ways is easier because the spirit empowers you. I'm going to say some things here and I want you to know, I don't have a fasting girl trophy. No such trophy (laughs) exists, but I can talk about my own experience with humility because the Lord's helped me do it all. 
but I've undertaken a variety of fasts. When I really started fasting in earnest, I fasted every Friday for my sons. I have four mm-hmm. sons. I had three at the time. None of them had made a profession of faith to Jesus. And that weighs on a mom's heart. So I fasted every Friday, just breakfast and lunch. And when dinner was family time again, I picked right back up and ate. Uh, I've done some, you know, a friend's having a serious surgery or she's confronting her husband about sexual sin. So it's just for that period mm-hmm. when I've said, hey, I'm going to set aside noon to one today. I'm going to fast and pray for you. Mm-hmm. Then I have undertaken two 40 day fasts and I've had people write to me and say, you're lying. That's impossible. It, mm-hmm. it, it actually isn't. I had liquids only um, uh, for those 40 days. Both of them were times where I just was desperate to see God move. I had some mm-hmm. rules in place for the reasons that you mentioned. No scale at all. It was mm-hmm. put in a closet. That closet door was never opened. Um, no things with clothing fit at all. I just wore my baggy clothes. I didn't worry about how my pants were fitting. And when those feelings came up about, oh man, I bet I'm getting thin. That was an opportunity for repentance Mm. for me to say, Hey God, I've made this about me. And one prayer I frequently pray when I'm fasting is God help me to hunger and thirst for righteousness as I am hungering and thirsting for food right now. Mm-hmm. That comes comes straight out of the Beatitudes when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. So I had to be cognizant um, of those sin feelings coming mm-hmm. in of like, I'm actually doing this for me. Mm-hmm. So some parameters are good. I also think we should fast in community. Now, Sometimes that means church wide. For me, that means I go to my husband and say, Hey, I think I'm going to fast. This is what's on my heart. What do you think? Um, could be a friend. The 40 day fast I did before my 40th birthday, I had that on the calendar for months. I just had it on my heart that I wanted to head into that, you know, second stage of my life in fasting and humility. And then COVID hit. So my birthday is April of 2020. Oh, wow. And uh, we all know what we were doing in April 2020. We were sitting around and eating. And I said to my husband, I must have heard the Lord wrong. This can't be right. And I have such a wonderful husband. He said, you know what? You made a commitment to the Lord. I think you should follow through. Mm -hmm. And so some accountability there Mm -hmm. is so, so important. But you know what it could be? It could be fasting your morning cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. It could be fasting from something that you really love. Maybe you let yourself indulge on the weekends and you're going to not, you're going to eat healthy. So you can take it to the Lord. And my experience, he will help you be as creative as you need to be. He'll show you what it looks like. And I love that about him. He, he walks us the whole way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. Well, the one interesting thing I did an episode on fasting with the non-diet dietitian last January. And the one interesting thing that we kind of uncovered with the Daniel fast is if you read your Bible, they were fatter in appearance Mm. at the end of their fast, which was a miracle. Yeah. Right. Because back then that was how you looked like you belonged in the palace is if you Mm. had that healthy, full look to you, the skinny people, they were, they didn't have enough money for food, right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I, I love, I love that reminder of, um, you know, it's, it's really about prayer. It's about seeking the Lord. It is. It's I can affirm that actually I didn't lose weight on either of my 40 day fasts, which Mm -hmm. how is that true? Uh, Part of it is just the way I metabolize food. uh, But part of it is the Lord somehow supernaturally made it about him. I wasn't thin at the end of those 40 days. And by all accounts, I should have been, but God made it not about that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. 
Hey, come back Friday for part two of this interview with Aaron Davis, where we'll talk about feasting. See you then. Before you go, if something from today's show blessed you, may I ask a huge favor? Leave a review on your favorite platform. Seeing your five-star reviews is a huge encouragement to me. Not sure how to do it? You can go to comparetohu.me slash podcast, scroll to the bottom, and you'll find all the information. And while you're at comparetohu.me, check out some of the more than 500 articles on there about body image, comparison, all the things you're thinking about. Plus, you can find out more about my books, or you can grab a time for a free 10-minute call to see if coaching is right for you. I'm so honored to be a part of your journey out of body image and comparison frustration. And I can't wait to hear how God is working to set you free. Hey friend, would you check out the date on that episode you just listened to? Yeah, it's been a minute. Listening to old podcasts is almost like reading my diary from several years ago. In some cases, it's even a little embarrassing. So instead of listening straight through season by season, can I encourage you to skip ahead? I release brand new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. And if you're not sure where to start, you can go to improvebodyimage.com, find the Start Here button, and I've got several episodes listed and categorized so you can find the topics that are of most interest to you. Your time is valuable, so skip straight to the good stuff. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for letting me be a part of your body image and food freedom journey. Everyone wants to change the world. Capital Ministries is doing just that, one heart at a time by creating disciples of Jesus Christ among political leaders in the U.S. and foreign nations. For more than 25 years, founder Ralph Drawlinger has written Bible studies specifically for public servants. Study along with us and learn what the Bible says about capitalism, communism, abortion, same-sex marriage, and other contemporary issues. Subscribe and follow us at lifeaudio.com or search Capital Ministries on your favorite podcast platform.